The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. You're listening to the December 7th, 2018 episode of the Out of the Question podcast. My name is Andrea Schwartz. And the man who has served as my co-host for most of the 42 broadcasts we've done since the beginning of the year, Pastor Charles Roberts, has stepped down from our weekly conversations to focus on some important pastoral and family responsibilities that require more of his time and energy. He has promised me, though, not to be a stranger, and I hope we can snag him back for an occasional visit. When the podcast began, it was designed to be a conversation between like-minded people discussing topics that we felt would be of interest to our listeners. Thus, a new co-host is joining me today, Reverend Steve Macias, who oversees both a congregation and a Christian school here in Silicon Valley, California. You may remember that a few weeks back, Steve was our guest as we were discussing the origins of Halloween. Hi there, Steve. Welcome. Great to hear you, Andrea, and great to be with you. All right. Hopefully we'll have a lot of good conversations in the future. I'm sure of it. All right. So as is our custom, we posit a question that either people have asked us or on people's minds and attempt to really get behind the question to uncover what they really want to know and understand and then shed some light from Scripture on it. So, Steve, I'll turn this over to you as you let our audience know what the question is for this week. All right. I'm glad to do it. Our question and discussion this week is on a very interesting topic. It's on a topic related to the law of God and how justice is distributed. And it's on the idea of prisons. Now, as we look through the scriptures, we'll find that the idea of holding a man in a cage for a certain amount of time to pay a debt to the state, is never a prescribed punishment given through the law of Moses or really anywhere inside the scriptures. It's only a punishment given by pagans for pagans. But here in the United States, we have these large populations of institutions where correction facilities have been established to lock people up for a certain amount of time or years or all kinds of contrived systems. And so our discussion today will be, well, what do we do with all of these people who are currently locked into an unbiblical system of justice? And what is our responsibility uh, as Christians who are seeking to find the righteous punishment and the true form of justice to those who are currently in the system? Are we to wait until the system has been reformed before we can reach out to these people? Or is there something we can do now to bring the kingdom and the judgment and justice to our people today? And I think our guest today, uh, Chaplain Steve, will help us to kind of see what opportunities exist for the gospel and for the kingdom inside what we might understand to be an unbiblical system of justice. Okay, so let me introduce him. So Chaplain Steve Christensen is somebody I have wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, and schedules finally work themselves out, and his situation is such now that not only can he share 
what he and his wife have been a part of for a good long time, but now he can be a little bit more specific because his individual role has changed somewhat. So Chaplain Steve, welcome to the Out of the Question podcast. Thanks, Andre. I'm glad to be here. So I'm going to let you give your resume, so to speak, how you got to be a chaplain, what drove you to it, and then share some of the things you've done as a chaplain. Well, uh, it was a pretty unique uh, path that the Lord used to bring me uh, into the chaplaincy. Uh, it really started uh, prior to that when I, uh, my, my family and I moved to Virginia to go to law school, and I was a criminal defense attorney. And during that time, I got to know my clients, and I realized that these people are really open to spiritual matters. I was very amazed with that. I had an attitude that I think a lot of people have, like even a lot of Christians, and that is, well, uh, these are bad people. They deserve to be locked up. You know, lock them up and throw away the key. Well, as I got to know my clients, I realized that they were just spiritually needy people who were willing to listen because they were pretty much at the end of the rope and uh, at the bottom of the well looking up. And so I really felt really more of a pastor than a lawyer. And then through a very interesting turn of events, which I really don't have time to describe right now, I ended up really being led by the Lord in a different direction. I, I really felt like I was supposed to be involved in another aspect of uh, ministry, and that was uh, ministry to my kind of clients in a jail setting. And so that's kind of how the Lord led me in that direction. And then as a chaplain, I ended up being able to minister to these people, realizing just the, the spiritual opportunities that were there. And on the outside, as we call, uh, when, you, when you're in jail ministry, it's called being on the inside. The inmates refer to anything there on the inside of the facility. Well, in the world outside, it just it was amazing that whereas I was not comfortable with going up to somebody and trying to share the gospel with them, it's just the opposite in the jail. It's just made super, super easy because all the inmates know that you're there, whether you're a chaplain or a volunteer, you're there for them. And so they approach you with the spiritual questions, and the Lord has just made such a wonderful opportunity for all of us to minister in these facilities because of the isolation that these inmates face. So it's been a really amazing um, ministry. So when you first made this transition, did you stop being a criminal defense attorney? I mean, obviously, you had a family to support, etc. How did you go from one to the other, or did you do both at the same time? No, I couldn't because I had I had to wait until, as, as the Lord was leading me through this uh, process, I had to finish up my cases, my law cases first, because when you minister inside a facility, you are not allowed to minister to people to whom, you know, you, that you know, you're not. And so the head, there cannot be a, any kind of uh, connection like that. So by the time I went through the chaplaincy training and all that to become a chaplain, I had no more clients left in the facility where I was, you know, which was a city jail. And so uh, I was able to minister. Now, there was a one day early on when uh, one of them probably had a family member Google me and find out that I had been a, that I was a defense attorney. And one day I came to the door and all these inmates lined up 
and uh, were asking me these legal questions. They said, oh, here, you're a lawyer. I said, well, you know what? I'm a chaplain now, and I'm here to meet your spiritual needs. <laughs> so I had to redirect them, you know, as far as their interests. But most of them, you know, from then on, pretty much nobody really knew much about my background. And so that's why I didn't want to talk too much at that time about it. But it was just an, uh, a wonderful, wonderful ministry to be in. Now, I'm aware of the fact that you wanted to do more than just give pietistic comfort to people. Would you share a little bit about the, what I considered very innovative teaching that you did with some of your, your clientele as a chaplain? Well, I was able to teach in a Christian program in the jail. And so what I decided to do was to approach it from a historical perspective. Uh, two of the courses that were very helpful were the American History Course, 1865, and the Christian Survey of World History. And what I did was to use those in a historical context. And so using starting as a, that was a starting point. And so we had really, really great discussions, of course, as Rush Dooney brought out different points in those studies and, and why certain policies politically and legally were there. And that opened up lots of doors to approach it from a biblical law perspective and to show the connection between our theological beliefs and the way we live on our lives and, and, and how that is connected politically and legally in a society. So how did inmates take to this? I mean, like you said, we have this stereotype of the people who were there. Were you dealing in a minimum security thing, or could you have a whole gamut of reasons why people were in the jail? Yeah, we, our jail was, we had everyone from, you know, petty thieves all the way up to capital murderers. And we had all of those in the program as well. It was really amazing. I was very impressed at how when these inmates heard you know, these concepts, you know, that Rush Dooney brought out uh, in his uh, writings, and I, of course, um, used other books as well. Uh, the One and the Many was very, very helpful for these classes. And they were always interested in politics and because it affected, affected them personally. Of course, the victims were affected too. But in the, in the so-called justice system, there, there's, there's virtually very little justice there. And so when they took in these concepts, they were like so amazed and they readily accepted them. And I was just, I was thrilled the way they, they really took to these and they decided they really could see how transforming to a society these thoughts can be. And so they were, um, so many of them were excited to share with their families what they had learned in the jail. Yes, Chaplain Steve, Steve I, I just wanted to comment just really quickly on the fact that you are basically talking to unchurched or non-Christian people and you're introducing Rushdoony to what you described as the folks who were at the bottom of the bottom of the pit. You know, is when we introduce Dominion theology or reconstruction or law, it's largely considered an intellectual type of exercise. What has been your experience in introducing, you know, this lofty theological language or lofty ideas of of justice and theology to people who are not trained theologians. Is this an example where ideas like reconstruction are just basic and people are hungry for them? Or are these uh, examples of the gifted people behind bars that our society is laying to waste? 
No, it's not a matter of gifted people behind bars, although there are some very gifted people. First of all, I think, uh, you know, there was more resistance to theonomy and Christian reconstruction from my own pastors in a PCA church versus no resistance from so many of these inmates. Because what whatever it was, you know, whatever emotional processes that they went through to be inmates, you know, because it is, it's an emotional breaking process in some ways, just just being stripped of your clothes and put in these jumpsuits and just the whole process and being put in there with some people who have done some very bad things and maybe your crime wasn't as bad as there, but there's a humbling process that really, really clears the mind and there's lots of time to think and, and to realize that, you know, what has been done just didn't work. And so when you come across these ideas, which I believe are biblical, and and you hear people like, you know, read people like Rush Dooney, and, and you hear this, it just opens doors. And I found that, for example, Rush Dooney himself was able to explain things so that I understood them. And then what I did is I took from all the reading that I had done in, in Rush Dooney's books, I took that, and then I communicated that in my words to these inmates. And that's what drew them to this. And then they would pick up the books for themselves that I was talking about, that I had learned from. And, of course, that's where some of the those who were more educated or, you know, better gifted intellectually than those are the ones who really took off with it. But there were others who weren't that able intellectually to grasp all of it, but they grasped the important points of, you know, you can't change things long-term through revolution. It's education. It's teaching your children and grandchildren all these important biblical principles so that you can take godly dominion. That's right. And I think that's an important message to say that this contrast is here with people who are behind bars, people who are locked in, you know, five by five cells, that they're able to look at the message of the gospel and see something of victory, even though their present situation is rather bleak. What kind of message of hope are you able to communicate with them? What is the trajectory of their reconstruction if they're serving the next 10 or 20 years behind bars? Well, first of all, as I always stressed to the men when I was teaching, I said, first of all, before you can change the world, you've got to get your life fixed. And so we were very blessed in our jail because most jails are not allowed to have any programming like this. But we were very blessed to have a sheriff who believed in giving inmates an opportunity. And so in our program, I said, use this first and foremost to get your own personal life fixed. Whatever brought you into this facility, get it fixed because you have an opportunity now for the word of God in your life to Obviously, you need the regeneration first, but those who were regenerated said that you've got to get this fixed and put these, you know, put the scriptures to work in your life. Then I went through the spheres that Rushdie would talk about, for example, family. I said, then you work with your family because your your family comes next, and then you know, then church, and then society. And so we would take these in steps like this, and as those that I could see who really were. You know, the word of God was mending and restoring them. They were starting to move and start. Many of these men would begin talking with, for example, 
uh, a wife was ready to divorce him and made peace. And so they were, families were starting to get reconstructed because of the gospel. And then this message, you know, of reconstruction, of, of taking the word of God and plugging it into all these different areas of life, you know, and they started with their families. And so um, I was seeing these steps beginning to progress in their lives. And that was very, very encouraging. Now, you told me that you worked on the men's side and your wife had a ministry to the women who were incarcerated. Yes. And now my wife did not feel comfortable enough to be able to, you know, teach Rush Dooney's material. So what we ended up doing on the days when we could have got our schedule together, she and I both went over to the women's program and I was able to teach them. And so that worked out very well with her with me because you always have to have a a female with you the whole time. And so having my wife there as a fellow chaplain was very, very helpful. And so we were able to teach both. I was able to teach both those courses, the, the, the American history and the world history to the women as well. And again, in, in the course of those studies, there's so many different uh, uh, topics that come up that were very, very apropos into what they were going through in their lives, very applicable. And so uh, it worked very, very well, and we were so thankful for that opportunity. So aside from the inmates benefiting, did you ever get feedback from some of the other people in the administration saying, wow, these people are changing? Well, I, I did um, because, for example, there were inmates whose lives were just transformed by the Word of God, some who had know, come to know Christ for the first time, and, of course, Others who had, who did know Christ already, but they, you know, had backslidden away from the Lord, and the Lord had brought them back. And so a number of these inmates would uh, write very beautiful letters to the sheriff thanking him for this program. Uh, one female inmate just shared with one of the judges that she was before uh, about the program, and he was so impressed that he ended up sending her home. She was able to go home instead of going up to prison. And so, uh, but yes, they could see the changes. And, and that to me was, was so exciting because for example, a number of our past, a number of our chaplains uh, in the ministry I was with have, you know, had been pastors previously. And one old gentleman who's now with the Lord, uh, he'd been a pastor, oh, I don't know, maybe 30 years or so. And then he was a chaplain for like maybe the last 15 years of his life. And he had stated that as a chaplain, he had seen more changes in people's lives than he'd ever seen in 30 years of pastoral ministry. Wow. Did you ever experience antipathy from any of the inmates? Like, why are you here? I, I don't want to hear your stuff. Absolutely not. Never. Really? Never in 16 years. Not once in 16 years. Oh, no. No. Well, let me say this, uh, certainly not in the program they were in, um, but no, not even, not even out in the population as I was out there because, you know, legally you're not allowed to proselytize, but the reality is you don't have to proselytize because the Lord brings them to you. Like I say, they expect you to talk about God. They want you to talk about God and his word. And uh, I even, I remember I had some good conversations with some Muslim inmates, you know, so they're always wanting to know these things, and, and like, and they have all they have on their hands is a lot of time. So they have time to think and argue, and and they want to have answers. And again, that is one of the 
opportunities of jail and prison ministries because these people, you know, they're having time to think about how they've ruined their lives and ruined other people's lives, and they're looking for answers. And so this is why uh, this this kind of ministry is so wonderful. Now, there is a caveat, and there's a problem there, too, because Christians aren't the only ones who go to jails and prisons to minister. Uh, and so, you know, we have to remember that they may be open to, you know, finding some kind of answers while they may not be getting the correct answers. And, and so that makes it all the more imperative and important that Christians, and especially now those of us who believe that, you know, we have a life-changing message that goes beyond individual soul saving, uh, you know, if we have a message that we truly believe in, then we need to get that message into the jails and prisons because it's much needed and it will be very much accepted by many among the inmate population. So some people might say, okay, yeah, sure, you have a captive audience, literally, and they're probably just accepting your Jesus talk because they want you to help them get a reduced sentence. Did you ever run into people who you thought were trying to manipulate you into benefiting them? You're talking about the inmates? Yes. Um, oh, sure. I mean, you know, there's there's a small percentage of the inmate population who are the uh, the, the typical inmate that you you know you that everyone knows about from the from the movies and tv shows absolutely there's always going to be career criminals and there's definitely con men and con women in there but what what you brought up though is kind of interesting too because there are people uh, for example on the outside when i went to visit various churches and tell them about what we were doing uh one woman brought up well that's just jailhouse religion you know what about that i said uh yeah, well, there's certainly jailhouse religion. I said, but there's one thing that's worse than jailhouse religion. She said, what's that? I said, church house re- religion. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and all I can say is this, is, is again, uh, kind of echoing that one uh, chaplain who had been a pastor. I guarantee you, I have seen more real changes, and I've seen more real Christians than I've ever in jail than I've ever seen on the outside. And in fact, I will say this, I, I say this kind of uh, tongue in cheek too, but it's, it, there's really a lot of truth. I said some of the nicest people I've ever met, I've met in jail. What a strange and strange thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the common picture we get through media and you mentioned movies and, and you even mentioned people coming in and proselytizing who are, who are not Christians. And as you, you have this discussion, I'm reminded of, a, I think they recently did a Hollywood adaption of it, but a Dead Man Walking by Sister Helen, right? So most people who have any exposure to jailhouse ministry have either seen this movie or they read this book about the, you know, the nun who goes in and tries to get the convict saved from death row, right? And it really feeds into this idea in the American justice system that criminals are really victims and we need to come in and uh, stand in the gap and protect them from the the evil state and police that want to put them to death Uh, i think in this podcast we want to kind of recognize that god's justice is is more than just you know guilt manipulation and and a politic of, of pity and looking at people as victims but i think what you have posed is that there are real opportunities 
to change lives. What would you say to people who want to uphold standards of justice and maybe people who have family members who were victims of violent crimes, who perhaps even went and testified to see their family members uh, get justice and the justice that our American system gave them was years in jail. And yet we're going in there and we're offering what people might consider evil or, or sinful people hope and, and liberty and freedom. And what would you say to these people who would be upset about you doing that? Well, first of all, let me just kind of go back to my time as an attorney. When uh, a judge that I knew from an internship I'd done was encouraging me to do criminal offense, I talked to another friend and uh, about it. I said, I'm not sure I can defend guilty people. He says, Steve, Jesus does it all the time. And I thought, okay. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you, know, Good point. <laughs> you know, Jesus defends guilty people all the time. Um, and so with that you know, in mind, I thought, you know, all of us deserve God's wrath and punishment due to our sins, like the catechism says. And by his grace, we've been delivered from the penalty, the guilt of those sins. And so that's simply our message, that we're all guilty. I could end up in jail myself, but by God's grace, I didn't, although my fifth grade teacher thought I would, but I ended up in jail, but not quite the way she thought I would. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, but God's grace is there. And I think that's really the message that we bring is God's grace. And let me say this, too. And, and as I explained to various tour groups of various Christians from churches coming in that want to minister in the jail, I said, you know, we're not there to say, oh, you poor victim. No, because they've created victims. We know this. But what we do is say, you know, there are temporal actions that carry temporal consequences and there are temporal actions that carry eternal consequences as well and that's the message we come in to share the grace of god yes you've done a terrible thing you don't need to tell me any details about it but i want to share with you the hope that you have that no matter if you serve the rest of your life you know in, in a facility and in, in, but this you can know. You can be free in Christ. And that's the message that we share. And so uh, it's not a message of, you know, um, uh, encouraging them to be victims. No. We are encouraging them to understand God's plan, his sovereign plan that even allowed them to hurt other people so that those victims also could learn to come to the Lord through that tragedy. and then the defendant, the inmate who committed that crime, can learn God's grace as well to get through what he or she did to the victim. So in both cases, they can be more than conquerors. Amen, because it's the grace of God extended to all of us that frees us. You know, you were talking about um, having had more success inside than on the outside. And I, especially around the holidays, people are always nervous about family dinners because they're going to have the non-Christians at the table or people who think their version of Christianity is too extreme. And I think hearing you speak, and I, this isn't the first time I've heard you talk about this, is to take a deep breath and realize that it's not 
the person who's sharing the gospel who makes the transformation. It's the Holy Spirit. And if you're faithful mm -hmm. to talk to the person who's right in front of you, whether it's your crazy Uncle Harry or, you know, somebody who is totally opposed to your politics or your orientation in life, if we engage those people and have the certainty ourselves that we know the truth and it's the truth that sets people free, then I imagine that's extremely freeing. It is. Uh, I know that uh, I was not raised in um, a, for lack of a better term, Calvinistic faith background, Reformed backgrounds. And then, of course, uh, the, I, we, the Lord led both my wife and me into to that background. And then, of course, through uh, hearing Rush Dooney one time, not himself, but a friend of mine quoted him. And I thought, and this is way back, I mean, 20 plus, well, maybe more than 25 years ago, I heard a quote from Rush Dooney. I thought, hmm. That's kind of like how I think, but I would have never have been able to say it that way. But that, yeah, it was kind of neat to have to describe how I was thinking. So I was already thinking that direction. And so as the Lord directed us and led us in our personal faith walk, knowing the sovereignty of God and coming fully to believe in it, it does take all that pressure off. And uh, it just, you realize that, you know, I just need to be faithful to share whatever the Lord allows me to share. And he's going to do with that as he pleases. Right. What a lot of people don't know about Dr. Rush Dooney is before he really began to write and start Chalcedon, he felt that if he was going to be of use, he needed to really be able to communicate his message in very easily understood terms, not unlike what you're saying, Chaplain Steve. And he went and ministered on an Indian reservation for quite a number of years. And I think it would be a great exercise for people who think they're not ready to get over it and find somebody, whether it's people in their community who need help with tutoring, who can't read, or volunteering at a Christian school like Steve is the headmaster of. In other words, get your feet wet and realize what a great thrill it is to see lives change. Amen. And I will say that I always encourage people who are looking for somewhere to serve, it, it, you know, look to your local jail and a local prison because God has made it so easy. There's a great book. May I recommend a book? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the name of the book is Jail and Prison Ministry by Lenny Spitali. He, uh, uh, he himself uh, had been incarcerated and became a chaplain for many years. But uh, it's a wonderful book. It really, for the person who's not accustomed to, to the concepts and the, the kind of like the, the world that exists behind bars, that is a wonderful book. Very, very great, great explanations uh, of the ministry and, and how where these inmates are coming from and to, to really, you know, help person uh, know how to minister there. But it is, I, I wish I could put into words how easy ministry is in jail i mean they are so hungry for the word of god you don't have to be a great bible teacher you just take your bible and even just share personal experience of what you know of the bible and it will be just they'll welcome you with open arms and you will see god do great things chaplain steve do you think that has something to do with uh them being so close to the law right you know the law is a, a tutor to christ 
And, you know, those who are awaiting punishment are often given a chance for confession before execution, things like that. Do you think them being on that side of the bars is a daily reminder of, of their finality or, or their humanness? And so they're more open because of being in this, while it might be unjust, but in this uh, justice-type system. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Lenny Spitali speaks to that point in his book, and it, he, he, he calls it a humbling process. He, he's not saying that all these inmates are humble, but what he's saying is that the process they go through, it's a humbling process, because in the jail, you have people from all walks of life. And again, this, this minority group of career criminals is one thing, but the vast majority of people in jail and prison today are average people like you and me who got caught doing something they should not have done. And so with that comes this terrible shame, embarrassment, and then you have the isolation. You know, you can't call out and everybody thinks about these phone calls. You get, no, you are isolated from everybody. You, you end up with people divorcing you, all these things, and just you're so broken. The whole process is such a breaking process that in his sovereignty, God has used this to prepare hearts to receive the word. And he's prepared good soil because they're so desperate, they're so broken that it's a window of opportunity. And that's the amazing, I mean, again, I can hardly put it into words even talking to you now, how amazing it is to see God just heal and restore these people. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I wish more people in more churches would be involved in this kind of thing. Well, I think one of the advantages you had, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, is that you didn't have a pietistic view of God's righteousness or justice. In other words, you knew that sin cost. And for those of yeah. us who were redeemed, the cross was the cost. And so in order to really communicate that to people, you have to know it. And so rather than just say, Jesus loves you, and we have no answer to the situation you're in or how you got there, if you know God's word and you know how to apply it to every area of life, then you really do have an answer. Maybe that person will never get out of being incarcerated, but he or she will understand this is the consequence for my actions. Yes, and I've encouraged many of them, uh, you know, they say, well, I can't vote. I said, well, you know, it doesn't matter if you vote because you have an area of influence, and, and with what you've learned and with what God has done in your life, you can influence friends and family who can maybe make some other changes. But I said, that, you know, this is life-transforming stuff that we're talking about, and so that's what they are grasping from this. Now, do most chaplaincy programs require that somebody be in the ministry, or if you go through chaplaincy training, that's sufficient, or would it depend on the county or the state? It all depends on the facility, you know, the, the, the jail or prison, because all that the law requires in any facility is that the religious rights of the inmates be met by reasonable attempts reasonable standards and so uh, some facilities will choose to uh, use one of their officers 
to be a program officer. And that officer, whether he or she is a Christian or not or whatever, you know, they'll make some contacts with the community. But the places that are that work the best are when you have a professional Christian chaplain in the facility who can be an inside person to really engage the community. That's the blessing. And that's why with me, I was very fortunate to be with a ministry that worked that way. And so they had professional chaplains in the facility and of course trained us and we're there. We're the professional chaplain. We bring others in and we again have the opportunity to bring in those that we know, especially in the Christian side of the ministry, we know that they're going to be teaching and preaching, you know, the biblical gospel. Now, was your chaplaincy something that was supported through people supporting you, like the way they would a, a missionary? Yes, I was like a whole missionary. My wife and I had to get our own support in the community. And did you find that people were eager to participate? Um, you know, with when you went church to church, really, uh, quite frankly, it was a hard sell. Because like I say, uh, even, you know, so many Christians, uh, they look at it as, you know, why are you ministering to these people? You know, they're lost causes. Just lock them up and throw away the key. And unfortunately, that's the way too many people think. I mean, like I say, I was one of those people once, long ago. I mean, I I didn't know any better. No one had ever shared with me. I didn't have the information. I didn't know. But um, really, we found most of the support came from individuals who caught the vision. You know, we just shared the excitement uh, and you can, I'm sure you can hear some of the excitement. I just, I get very animated sometimes when I talk about this because it's been a part of my life for, you know, 16 years. And so, <laughs> I don't know what else now, to say. Yeah, right. Just to clarify, it's not that you burned out and you decided, I can't do this anymore. You made a decision to spend some time with your family and move closer to grandchildren, correct? Yes. You know, it's, and, and it's funny because uh, I've told people since moving that my wife and I had no intention of, you know, leaving the ministry anytime soon. I and mean, we were just very blessed. We, like I say, we're, it's just everything was was going very well. And but then when um, our family was moving and with the grandkids, and we thought, you know, uh, we really felt that our number one ministry was to our grandchildren, and uh, we uh, decided that we wanted to move with them. You know, when we shared that with the sheriff and the and the uh, command staff, they were very supportive of us because, uh, you know, a number of them were grandparents as well. And they said, you know, if we had faced the same thing, we would we would do the very same thing right. because family was so important. And so uh, and so now we're just uh, seeking the Lord for what he has for us in this new season of life. And do you make yourself available? Let's say somebody who's listening to this podcast says, you know, I, I'd like to find out more about this. God's kind of been, you know, tapping on my shoulder and I've not been listening or now he's beginning to tap. Is this the sort of thing that you would, you know, be willing to talk to people um, in terms of if they had questions? Absolutely. So how would they contact you? Well, they can contact me through um, my email address. They'd like, oh, it's a very long one. I'd have to spell it out for you, but... <laughs> or they can also find you on Facebook, correct, if somebody was... Yeah, I think they just look up uh, Steve Christensen on Facebook, and there's a picture of me many years ago uh, holding a codfish <laughs> on a fishing trip in Norway. <laughs> different story for a different podcast. <laughs> That's right, yes. 
Steve, do you have anything that you want to ask uh, Chaplain Steve about before we, because we're coming to the end of our time? I want to thank you, of course, for your years of ministry and your example of, of sending, sending the hope and the gospel of victory into the prison. And I just was hoping you could uh, give us some parting remarks on you know, what do you think the future of the American justice system should look like and what it should our goals be. Obviously, you believe we should be going into these, these systems and rescuing the souls that exist there too. But I'm sure you've seen how this unbiblical system has ruined and damaged souls and, and lives. What do you think the, the future uh, justice system should look like? And how does God's law you know, come to weigh in on that? Well, you've, that's, you've, you've asked actually a number of questions in there, and I think that uh, that would take another whole podcast to get into those. Um, but to conclude, I think the most important thing, and I think this is what I have learned from reading Rush Dooney, is that we need more Christians in every position, any you know, positions of authority in, 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 in society. And, of course, it has to begin with ourselves and our families and uh, the church. But I think that, for example, a godly sheriff who understands biblical justice can be a ex- an extremely valuable person to have. We have some chaplains who have just, just being a Christian sheriff, just having that much, that's a great advantage in and itself because uh, you know, policies are all done in, in the name of security. So, uh, with a sheriff who has a Christian bent and, and if we could ever have a, a sheriff who was a Christian reconstructionist and theonomist, I mean, we, you could, you could, you could, there certainly would be some, some, uh, major political battles and, uh, some maybe temporary losses. But I think just influencing, using our influence in any position we have, like when I was an attorney, I, you know, I, I was really pastoral in many ways. As a chaplain, I, I shared what I had read from Rush Dooney and these concepts, and they changed lives. And so whatever position we're in, to be able to share with others who will listen, and then especially if we have the authority to implement some of these uh, policies, I think that is a step in the right direction. That goes back to the idea of people who are homeschooling their children or like Steve who has people coming to his school to learn how to apply the Christian faith, we should encourage young people to not shy away from these occupations just because the enemy, so to speak, is in control of the rules at this point, Um, that we need to be patient. You put in 16 years. I'm sure the first six months didn't bring about all the excitement and success that we're hearing in your voice, you you had to keep showing up. Absolutely. It's a long-term vision. Well, thanks. I'm so glad I finally got you to say, yep, we'll do a podcast on this. And uh, we (laughs) might bring you back. What do you think, Steve? You think we should bring him back in the future to talk about the things that he said would take another podcast? (laughs) Well, perhaps we can do that, but we got to get him in a cage first. Very good. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us for this podcast. If you have any comments on this or suggestions for future topics, you can contact us at out of the question podcast at 
gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit kingdomdrivenfamily.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.